the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Happy to have you with us today. There is no other place to start today than uh, just those images and that tragedy mm. out of uh, our neighbors in, in Waukesha, Wisconsin, just kind of over the border in the Milwaukee area. Uh, where, as last I read, there could have been more updates as we've been preparing for the show, but uh, five people were dead, more than 40 injured after that red SUV just slammed through their annual Wisconsin Christmas parade in, down the street of Main Street, Waukesha. And Aubrey, uh, I, I was mesmerized watching this, and I think for a couple different reasons. One is just the tragic nature of it. You want more information and this and that, but a lot of times... When tragedies occur, we we are they, they occur in ways that we're like, I've never been in that situation. We've all been to Christmas parades. We've all been to Fourth of July parades. We've all been sitting there where these people were terrifying and tragic. I, I can't even really get my mind around what happened in Waukesha last night. I mean, it is so devastating. And I think that's you're right. Like, I mean, besides the fact that lives were lost and five people are now allegedly reported dead, 40 injured. Okay. Um, besides that devastation, the reality is it's, it's this sort of normal mundane event you take your kids to. You go, like there's one in Wheaton this Friday night that we right. usually go to. And, and I think that's what feels so heartbreaking about it. Not just the lives lost. Of course, that's part of it. But the fact that this is just a regular family event, kids from, you know, their school bands and their teams are there and, absolutely horrifying in some ways i it's so hard to know like is this just a continued progression of all of the the anger and vitriol that we've been seeing out of the pandemic is this something unrelated to that like what in the world happened and it certainly is sobering yeah i think obviously there's a person in custody there will be more um kind of news coming as to what happened there. Like you said, there's a lot of different guesses. The one I saw on the Today Show this morning was that he might have been fleeing from something, another crime, and just started going through. But it's just the the fear you hear in people's voices Mm. on these videos. And now everything gets videoed, right? And you're at a parade. Everyone's videoing their kids. And like you said, it's a school marching band. It's a little kid's dance troupe. It's a there, I heard there was a report of a grandmother's dance troupe. There was a float. Mm. Everything that you love about kind of Main Street, USA, Christmas parade, a lot of celebrating. I saw an interview with a guy this morning again on the Today Show. They interviewed a guy who was there. He said, we go to this every year as a family for the last 14 years. This is what everybody does. And, and you're Goodness just gracious. left with the uh, with the senselessness uh, in the randomness of this, yeah. it's a randomness that is the the hard thing for all of us to get our minds around. And Aubrey, let's jump in there uh, as Christians, right? Like as people uh, who believe in a sovereign God, 
how do you make sense of random acts like this in which truly innocent people, kids, uh, are, are caught up in the middle of it, losing life, getting injured, uh, whatever else? How do we reconcile? We're going to start with deep questions today. How do we reconcile a sovereign God with bad things happening to innocent people? I mean, that's ultimately the question, isn't it? And I I think one why it's so difficult is you actually can't reconcile it. Like mm. things like this are so unspeakable. They're so nonsensical that I think sometimes we just have to say they make no sense and they're not going to, period. Mm-hmm. And then we have to name them for what they are, evil. Like this is not good. This is not from God. This is not what God would want. This is mm. evil. But then I think the question ultimately is, okay, If God is sovereign, if God is all powerful, why didn't he stop this? Especially Mm -hmm. when innocent victims were, um, you know, a a part of it. And then, and then I think the kind of the secondary question to that, or at least part of that question then is you sort of go, well, God, were you not powerful enough to stop it? And I think that, you know, this is really, really an act of faith where we have to lean into who we know God is And the fact is that God is love, God is good, God is all-powerful, and for some reason, God allowed this to happen. Mm -hmm. I I would never say God willed this to happen ever, but for some reason, God did not put put his hand down to stay this event. But here's what we also know about God in the aftermath of things like this. The way the Holy Spirit is already at work, somehow bringing beauty from ashes, somehow ministering to the people somehow um, going to do something remarkable in the midst Mm -hmm. of what seems so dark, that's where you begin to see the evidence of God's hand in these things. And then I think we do have to remember that we live in a broken, fallen Mm -hmm. world. And sometimes we tend to minimize that to mean just personal sin, but sin impacts a lot of people and communities. And this is one of those examples. Like this is evil reaching outward. Yeah. Not just between this driver and God, but between now this driver and God and the other people who've been hurt. So here's what we go back to, I think, too, is Jesus's victory on the cross. Mm-hmm. And even this moment, Jesus has authority over. Jesus will claim victory over. Jesus will bring newness from. And that the cross and the resurrection brings his um, sovereignty over these things. But it's a lot to hold in balance. It's not easy to pretend like it's easy is really an inauthentic act of faith. That's right. I think that's a, an important point is sometimes we feel guilty as Christians going, I struggle with this. Where's got those questions should be asked, need to be asked as yeah. we see this. And yeah. um, it really brings kind of theology into the everyday life. I love all the stuff that you said. And I'd you know, it, this reminds us of the book of Revelation, right? Chapter yeah. 21 that says there's coming a day where there will be no more tears yes. or senseless violence or death or cancer yes. or pandemics or whatever else. And we we live our lives here in kind of that already not yet going, man, I wish there wasn't this brokenness. Uh, but But like you said, it is our reality now. The beauty of it is God says, I will be present in it. I'm here with you always. Uh, like this thing happening is not a sign of God's like being absent, uh, but that there's also coming a day where we don't, this is, this is not going to happen. These right. things are not going to happen. And that right. can provide us hope to keep going kind of his presence, but also his victory. Death ultimately doesn't win in the end. Uh, even though at times on this earth, it feels like it's winning and you're like, man, what's, mm. uh, what's going on. And, and I think we have to hold on to that. And I think, yeah. 
uh, especially, you know, it feels so close, right? Waukesha, my, my in-laws live very close town or right. two I mean, towns over. Right, I mean, they're our neighbors, yeah. Right, my, my yeah. son played a, a baseball tournament this summer in Waukesha. Like there's, uh, these are our neighbors. And so as Christ followers, we must be praying right now and just praying mm. for those families. That's good. Uh, the people who are just hurting, just senseless. It is, there There comes times in this world where we just go, it's senseless. It's just, yeah. it's, it's not, it doesn't, yeah. we can't wrap it up in a bow. Uh, and it's in those moments that we fall to our knees. So praying for our friends up in uh, up in Waukesha as they've got a lot of a lot of healing to still go. Well, coming up next, Christy Nelson. Uh, she's the executive director of an organization called A Network for Grateful Living. She's also the author of a book called Wake Up Grateful: The Transformative Practice of Taking Nothing for Granted. We're excited to talk to Christy as we go into Thanksgiving week, a week of gratefulness. We're going to talk about that with Christy Nelson next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, hope for your life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. And as we've been saying, Thanksgiving is coming. What a fun week it is as we think about joining with family, eating good food. But also we're trying to actually say, what are we thankful for? What's the importance of thankfulness? And with that in mind, we thought we'd bring on the author of a book called Wake Up Grateful, The Transformative Practice of Taking Nothing for Granted, also the executive director of A Network for Grateful Living. Her name is Christy Nelson. Christy, how are you doing today? I'm so happy to be here with you guys. Thank you so much for having me. And this is my favorite topic. So I'm delighted to be here. Absolutely. It's like your week. This is your week, right? <laughs> this so, is your week. That's right. It's our great. holiday at a network for grateful <laughs> living. It's our holiday for sure. There you go. And Christy, before we talk about thankfulness and gratitude and its importance, uh, we'd love to start our interviews this way by just asking you to introduce yourself a little bit more so our audience can get to know you. Why don't you do that for us? Well, I'm a 61-year-old. I live in Western Massachusetts. I've had such an amazing life and lots of challenges and lots of blessing, both. And mm. I'm so happy to be the executive director of this great organization, which focuses so deeply on helping us focus on what there is to be grateful for in the world in the midst of what's also challenging, knowing that that's what gives us the spiritual musculature to deal with what's difficult is to kind of fill up the wellspring, so to speak, with awareness of all that we have as blessing in our lives. So it's great match for what you guys are doing here at Common Good. And uh, I'm you know, really happy to answer any questions and also should probably just mention I'm a stage four cancer survivor. So that's a big part of what it is that has brought me to this moment in my life. And um, really happy to talk about that. I, I would actually love to jump right into that, Christy, with with your permission, because we know there are a lot of listeners who are suffering from cancer. We know several that are stage four cancer as well. And I, I guess I would just love to hear how did you learn to live gratefully in the middle of what I'm sure was a very, very difficult journey. It was indeed. And it was, it taught me everything about living gratefully, actually. Mm. And if not grateful, then when? Um, mm. It's really easy to get caught in focusing on what's hard, but I also felt like I had no idea how long I might live. And when you feel like time is short and life is precious, 
it activates that sense of taking nothing for granted. And so everything was really extraordinary for me. And I felt like every moment became more acute and more vivid, more powerful. Um, and so I learned at the hands of this extraordinary illness, how to treasure life more deeply, especially with this idea that my prognosis was poor and I was 32 years old at the time. And then I kept living. And so for me, the practice has been how to take all of what I learned in the idea that I don't know how long I'm going to live. And, oh my gosh, I've been through so much. And now here it is. And the sunshine makes me smile. And like, I couldn't believe it, and the bird sounds made me cry. And I wanted to hug everybody I love forever <laughs> and never let go. And so everything was so incredibly acute. And my perspective had been so enriched by this experience Mm. that uh, I was forever changed, but I didn't know that forever was going to last as long as it has. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it's been 28 years since uh, exactly since I finished treatment actually this week. So in that space and time, what became so alive for me was how extraordinary a gift it is to be alive. Yeah, that's that's so challenging and so helpful, Christy. Let me ask you what might be a strange question, but you obviously spend a lot of time thinking about gratefulness and writing and speaking about it. How would you define it? How would you define gratefulness? Mm. Gratefulness is the embodiment of gratitude. It's a way of being and it comes from the inside out. It's basically what I love to think of as an orientation to life mm. rather than waiting for something to give you a cause for gratitude, which is what we are used to doing. We want things to go exactly the way that we want them to go. We want to get just the right, you know, experience to happen, just the right gift. Instead, it's an inside out job. It's uh, uh, an internal orientation. It's proactive. It's not a reaction. It's not a fleeting feeling, which gratitude really is. Gratefulness is the ability to embody this amazing experience and all the gifts and benefits of gratitude in every single moment of our lives. And I like to call it the great fullness of life, greeting that with the great fullness of our hearts. So mm. the great fullness of life, greeting it with great fullness of heart. And so that means dealing with everything with this orientation of being grateful. Oh, I absolutely love that, Christy. And we know you've written a book called Wake Up Grateful. And I'm guessing, this is just a guess, but I'm guessing you give your readers some tools for actually beginning to embody this grateful life. And I wonder if there are one to two practices that you'd share with our listeners now. Sure. And actually, one of them that I use a lot is very helpful in moments like this, because I think we sometimes miss all the blessings of life because we have so many things we have to do. And so mm -hmm. we've got this incredible meal coming up and this, you know, a gathering, hopefully in person with people, maybe on Zoom and all the things that we have to do, have to do. And this is a, a practice that we call from obligation to opportunity, which is you can always be grateful for opportunities. That's one of the things, you know, you may not be grateful for everything that's happening, but you can be grateful for opportunities. So what we like to do is help people focus on taking this idea of what are five things or 10 things that you have to do today before the end of the day and write those down. So I have to go grocery shopping. I have to make this. I have to call this person. I have to take care of this. I run errands, all the different things. And so you write down a list of all the things you have to do. And in your mind or actually on the paper, 
you switch those two, I get to. And mm-hmm. that's one of the biggest perspective shifts in the reframe uh, experiences that we can have because it's a privilege. These things that we begrudge and bemoan so often in our lives are afforded to us by being alive Mm -hmm. and by having the privilege of being alive, by having a car, by having money we can spend on food and go grocery shopping, by having, you know, people who we love, who we get to take care of. So always just doing that internal shift of, I get to, I get to go to this appointment. That's one of the ways that I got through being ill was also thinking about the incredible gifts of civilization that were available to me of technology, of medical advancement, of all the people who were caring for me and the whole hospital set up. And so I would all the time feel like, you know, this is what I get to do. I get to have this experience of being cared for. And how can I focus on what there is to be grateful for in that rather than this is just painful or it's really hard and I'm scared and I'm uncertain. So I think the other thing is switching um, uncertainty to mystery is another thing that I think is really important in the pandemic. I think a lot of people think about not knowing and uncertainty as the absence of things, right? Mm. So it's the absence of certainty and the absence of knowing. And yet it's the state we live in all the time. And the more deeply we hold the spiritual truth um, that we are not in control of everything yeah. and that that's actually a privilege is to be able to let go and to be unemployed, as I like to call it, <laughs> an <laughs> unemployed <laughs> control freak or let go of that vigilance and everything is to think about there's so much that I don't know. And what is this mystery blessing me with? What are mm-hmm. the gifts of the mystery rather than what are all the shortcomings that I experience in not knowing and in uncertainty? What are the fears that arise? What are the gifts that come from actually being able to let go and not having to know everything? Yeah. Love that. That's so good. Christy Nelson, again, is the author of a book called Wake Up Grateful, the transformative practice of taking nothing for granted. Also the executive director of a network for grateful living. Such good stuff. I would just love for you to tell us about that organization uh, and also about the founder of that organization. I'd love to. It's one of my favorite subjects. So we were founded about 22 years ago by a Benedictine monk named Brother David Steindl-Rast. And he might be familiar to your listeners because he's very well known. He's got, he's published a lot. Gratefulness, the Heart of Prayer is one of the early books um, that he wrote. And he started this website, which was so incredibly prescient of him, right? So, so many years ago to start this online universe that he calls online support for offline living. Hmm. And so what we do is we really bring everybody, all the tools and resources and reminders that we need in our lives to stay grateful in every moment to bring gratefulness alive, to live gratefully. And Brother David also has um, a TED Talk that's been watched, I think now by 7 million viewers. And he has a little video that used to be called A Good Day. It's now called A Grateful Day. And it's on our homepage on our website at gratefulness.org. All the resources are free. We have beautiful e-cards with quotes and sayings and all this stuff to enrich your life of Thanksgiving, actually, all year long. But a grateful day is this five-minute video meditation 
I highly recommend people uh, explore watching that. And some people watch it every single morning to start their day, actually, as a meditation. It's something that can be shared around the Thanksgiving table or as a blessing. It's truly gorgeous and it lands us right in the right place of taking nothing for granted and appreciating all the gifts of our lives. Oh, I can't wait to listen to that. Again, you said that's gratefulness.org. Gratefulness.org. Yep. And it's called A Grateful Day. Sounds wonderful. And Christy, I, one of the things I know that you, you write about is something called wake up calls. Mm. And you say that they serve as reminders that life is precious and fleeting. Would you maybe give an example of a wake up call that um, can connect us to gratefulness? Yes, there are so many. And I think we have them often in our lives. And they're often times when we struggle and suffer, actually. And so my suggestion is to wake up grateful every day and be awake to gratitude rather than needing a wake up call to remind us how these things that we love are also so possible to lose. So that often people have these wake up calls when you have an illness like I had with cancer, when you have uh, an acute experience, an injury, a car accident, um, say somebody, a wake-up call can be, for instance, having an accident and losing the use of your arm. And then when you get the cast off and you say, I'm never going to take my arm for granted again, ever. <laughs> I'm never going to ever, you know, on my leg or my hand or something, you lose one of your senses temporarily you lose a person you love, you know, and these are very big, difficult things. And I, what I'm trying to encourage people and what our work tries to encourage people is, can you love those things so vividly and so fully and come awake and alive to those things in every moment of your life? So it doesn't take losing or almost losing those things to treasure them, actively treasure them. And Christy, it's obviously Thanksgiving coming up this week, which we're all excited about. And I know uh, I've been joking with Aubrey a lot about how much I just want to eat things this week and how excited <laughs> I am. But but it's obviously a great time for a wake-up call towards thankfulness, towards gratitude. And I'm wondering, at how can we use Thanksgiving as like a spur this week? And what would you maybe encourage to one, to people out there? What's one or two things you'd encourage them to do specifically this week as they get ready for Thanksgiving? A great question, you know, asking great questions around the table is a really beautiful thing to do when we gather is to dare to be the one who deepens the conversation, uh, dare to be the one that says something really vulnerable or that starts a conversation going down a much, a much more meaningful track and recognize the poignancy of this moment, right? That we're all, maybe we're able to be together and we have no idea what's going to happen next. And we've come through such a challenging time. Mm. So I think there's this poignancy is a beautiful energy. It's the energy of meaning in the midst of also knowing that everything is fleeting. And so to create those really deeply meaningful moments for people so that we treasure those, we really feel the gift that comes alive when we're together. And then not take them for granted. So it's great to ask people questions like, what did you use to take for granted that this past year has taught you to not mm -hmm. take for granted? It's good. And everybody has something or many, many things. Um, what are the things that you wish you could be more grateful for? What are the things you're more grateful for than you ever have been? Um, I think there's a lot of ways to be able to ask these questions that 
put us in a bigger frame of mind. And it's not just about the food, which yes, Brian, we love um, <laughs> and the chance, the chance to eat together. It's one of my favorite things in the world, but drop it down into a deeper place of really feeling the privilege because we know there are so many people who a year and a half ago would have loved to have been alive this Thanksgiving who are not people who are in hospitals. So I think another thing to do is to also figure out how you can uh, exhibit kindness and do things for other people in your communities and the people who are challenged and suffering and might be really alone right now and unable to be with people. So extending that gratitude beyond your own, my own taste buds, my own particular moment in time, my family and saying, what is a human family? You know, how do I connect to this larger uh, incredible experience that we're sharing now as a human family that brings us together. How can I be generous into that space? I think you bring up a really important point, And I know there are many of our listeners who are walking into this holiday navigating grief or perhaps mm-hmm. even really painful family conflict. And I wonder for um, our listeners who are just oh, they are dreading Thursday. Like it does not feel enjoyable for them. Is there a way that even in that they be can begin to wake up to some gratefulness in their lives? And, and what I guess, what would you offer to them? What would, What is their invitation this week? Today is a wonderful day. I've never seen this one before, is what Maya Angelou says. And so the opportunity to be alive, even to feel our grief, even to feel what's difficult, is a blessing that we need to not take for granted because we have no idea what's going to happen next. There's a lot of stuff that's really difficult that all of us face. And it's really hard when holidays, when the gap between what we feel like we're supposed to be feeling and what we actually feel is wide. Mm -hmm. And that's what, you know, all the propaganda about holidays can really do. And the truth is that we're meant to feel all of the bittersweetness. We're meant to feel everything all at once. And so I think coming into it with this sense of reality is important, which is it's not meant to be all a great feeling all the time and bring all of yourself with you and love all of yourself, befriend whatever it is that you're feeling in your heart. And I think the difficulties are things that we can attend to by leaning into them and accepting them and holding them close. I love um, Mark Nepo says, our fears just want to be held how do we hold ourselves more closely and then how that will allow us to extend ourselves more fully to the people in our lives who we also want to hold more closely. And it's difficult. Mm. Hold those feelings, hold our longings, hold our experience. The, the great fullness of our experience wants to be held and then take all of ourselves into whatever experiences we're going to have with each other this, this holiday season and show up fully with your heart wide open. Yeah, Christy, thank you so much for that. As we, as we said, we go into Thanksgiving week. That is such a great reminder. Again, Christy Nelson is the executive director of a network for grateful living. She's also the author of a book called Wake Up Grateful, the transformative practice of taking nothing for granted. Christy, happy Thanksgiving. I hope you have a great week and thanks so much for joining us today. You too, both of you. Thank you so much and to everyone. Absolutely. You're listening to the common good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. I'm Aubrey Sampson, joined by my co-host, Brian Fromm, and we're so glad to have you with us. 
Brian, I was reading a, a really um, kind of powerful emotional story this morning. And what dawned on me was the fact that I had forgotten about this story. And then I felt so convicted. Let me tell you about it. And then you can tell me your thoughts. But this morning, Christianity Today reported that two kidnapped missionaries were freed in Haiti. So if you remember, these Christian aid ministries have been in captivity for 37 days in Haiti. And two of the missionaries were released. They're safe. They're in good spirits. They're being cared for, according to this article. But there are still 15 members, 15 American missionaries that are in captivity. Brian, two things happening in my world as I'm reading this. One, I feel terrible that I have forgotten to pray and sort of forgotten that this was going on in the world. What does that say about me and our American society? But then two, celebrating that at least two have been set free and hopefully we'll see the release of more. But just give me your personal response and then we'll continue talking about it. Uh, completely what you just said with that first one. My first response when I read this story was, I totally forgot about that story. Uh, and it's only a month ago, right? It's 37 right. days ago. When it happened, we opened our show with it. Like it was a big deal. It's just a reminder of how we just quickly move on to the next thing in our life, the next story. You know, obviously the people, the friends and family and the people in hostage, like they don't move on. But the rest right. of us who just kind right. of reading the story go, wow, that's a, that's sad. We do kind of move on. I, I think that that is a wake-up call for us because it's not like, like you said, 15 of them are still in captivity. Mm-hmm. And we don't know yet why the two were released. Who, what's different about these two? Was there a ransom paid? Because then there's another article, Christian Today, that says actually with the release of prisoners, it can it can make the place more dangerous because they become emboldened. Uh, mm. if, if they see that they didn't, you know, nothing happened. Mm. Um, we don't know what kind of captivity they're in. Like we don't, there's a lot we don't know, but also it's a reminder, Aubrey. And again, there's an article today at Christianity Today that highlights this. Haiti's not any better. In fact, it's deteriorating still since we talked about it a little over a month ago. Uh, and so the reminder is like, how can we help? How can we pray? What yeah. are the organizations, right? Like I know that Food for the Poor, who we do some work with here at the station, they, yes. they do work in Haiti. How do we continue? And so just the reminder, yes, we want to celebrate two people being released, but I think it pushes us to go, oh, I, I need to get back to praying for them because I, like you, Aubrey, I hadn't thought about this story in weeks. And then now when it came back across my Twitter timeline, I went, that's right. There's people they they never have been released because I, I think also we're used to stories kind of wrapping up in a day, sure, in sure. a week. It's been 37 days. So what's going on over there? And uh, yeah, it's a reminder to pray and to have this be front of mind again. Absolutely, I think it's a it's a you know it's a convicting word for all of us that I don't know what you know put it on your prayer list and stick it to your fridge, stick it in your journal, whatever it is to be mindful that we should be praying for. I mean, I feel like kidnapped missionaries, Christians that are persecuted all over the world, the hungry, the starving, like there are some, there are some situations that just demand prayer. And I, I guess in the busyness of life or in our own trials and struggles or, or just in our sort of privilege, we forget. And I mean, I was convicted by this this morning. Let me share something that, um, one of the relatives of one of the captives posted in a message um, that Christianity Today shared. It says this, our hearts cry, Lord, how much longer must this continue? 
And yet, as the saga stretches on and we reach deeper for grace and courage, we find in mining the depths some beautiful shining gems. They went on to say the preciousness of belonging to the body of Christ, the prayers, scriptures, and messages of encouragement coming from many, and the days of collective prayer and fasting. We see the hearts of Christians around the world drawing together as prayers continue for our loved ones and their captors. Although we long for the waiting to end and for our loved ones to be set free, we are nonetheless grateful for the treasures that we have found in this valley, gifts from our God and from his people. So even that, I think it's just from one of the one of the captive's family members, a call, I think, for all of us to join together and pray because it also encourages the families that are suffering through this. Yes. And yes. it's a way that we can be, you know, we can be the church. And we believe that prayer matters, right? We believe there that you prayer go. does make a difference. And so therefore, uh, this is a spot to kind of flex that muscle. Like, okay, we have to be praying. But it, it is, Aubrey, it reminds me, there's so many stories that you and I do because having a daily radio show, you're kind of interacting with the news of the day in mm-hmm. which one of our takeaways is like, we've got to be praying. Think about Ugh. today. Think about these this awful awful story in Waukesha, Wisconsin, right? We opened our show with it, with that, with that um, car driving through that parade last night and the death of kids and all this. Like, it's just an awful story. That's going to be something that I guarantee you for the next 24 hours will be on my mind. I will be praying about, I will be thinking about, but you know what's going to happen? 24 hours from now, another story is going to pop up Mm. and another story. Mm. And the people who are left there in in Waukesha, their lives are going to continue to be um, just uh, affected. It's way too – it's not strong enough, right? Devastated by this. The the missionaries' families in Haiti are going to continue to be devastated by this. Right. And and because of that – we have to remember that that the call to prayer is not a often it's not just a 24 hour call to prayer. I like what you said. Put a note in your journal or on your fridge. Add to that list the the uh, the captives, the missionary captives in Haiti, the families in Waukesha, Wisconsin, and and keep that list growing. And then when all the people in Haiti are are all these missionaries are hopefully released and safe, maybe cross that off. Add to your list. Uh, but but I think oftentimes when we say pray for these people, that lasts like 12 hours. That lasts like 24 hours. Right, but exactly. instead, we, we need to have mechanisms in our lives. to. Be, I need to pray for those people in Waukesha over the holidays yeah. at the new year and, and keep going. And we have all sorts of stories like that. And then take it down to the personal level. That friend that you told them, I'll pray for you. Mm. Uh, and then we pray for them in that moment. But maybe what's it look like to continue to pray for them and to continue crawling out to God for them? So that's a, on a personal level, Aubrey, that becomes a reminder for me in reading the story. Like I feel guilty a little bit going, I didn't even think about them. I've totally forgot about this story. Well, here's what I want us to do, Brian, with the last minute or so we have. I, we're going to do something a little like uh, not untraditional, and I am going to put you on the spot. But I think let's practice what we preach. And I wonder if you would offer a prayer right now as sure. we clo- close up um, for Haiti and for Wisconsin on behalf of our listeners and on behalf of me and you who need to get better at praying as well. Yeah, I think that's a great call. When, okay. when you say pray for someone, you should probably pray for them in yeah. the moment. So yeah. yeah, I'd be glad to do that. Let's pray. God, uh, we still are reminded today, Lord, of these missionaries in Haiti. Lord, we ask for their safe release. We're grateful for two that have been released, but we ask for their release. And Lord, we also ask for um, the gospel to bring about a new work in Haiti that right now everything you read is it's it's an it's a dangerous dangerous place 
Uh, but God, we, we know that your gospel can bring about revival and bring about transformation. And so we ask for that, Lord. And we ask for ourselves, Lord, that you would continue to challenge us to pray for what we've said we'll pray for. And uh, so, Lord, we trust you. You're good even in the midst of really bad situations, Lord. So we trust you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Oh, that was good. Thank you so much for that prayer, uh, Brian. That's a good, good reminder for all of us. And thank you for that. Well, coming up next, we're going to talk about one way that a group of people are finding healing from their trauma. It's going to be a powerful conversation when we return. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm, and we are so grateful that you're with us today. We talk about a variety of things on this show, Brian. Sometimes it can be a really heavy day. Sometimes it can be a more fun, entertaining day. We do a top five list or some of your dad jokes. and um, But sometimes there are things that are just difficult but necessary to talk about. And one of those things is healing from trauma, especially abuse within the church. And I don't know if you've seen this, Brian, but Netflix has a new documentary coming out called Procession, which is really um, following a group of sexual abuse survivors who were victims of clergy sexual abuse in the Catholic Church. There are six men who are finding healing from their trauma by creating short films of their own about their trauma. And in many instances, these men together are going back to churches where they were abused. It looks really, really powerful. I want to dive into their healing journey. But before that, I want to share a little bit of um, a clip from this documentary. I don't think I've been inside this church in more than 30 years. Look at the windows. You can never think something bad might happen here. Drama therapy is the intentional use of role play to achieve a therapeutic goal. We're trying to walk through each other's memories and the things that haunt us the most. Each survivor is writing their own script. I have so much anger and hatred, I can't even put it into words. We have over 230 priests that we know that have been sexually abusive in this era. Catholic Church says, tell your mother we're sorry. You tell my mother you're sorry because she still believes in you. In my mind, it's like they're not going to win. And that's how I cope with it. Uh, do I have concerns? Yes, I have concerns being re-traumatized. If it's too painful, we shouldn't do it. I need to conquer these, these fears. People do things for other people. Sometimes they don't do for themselves. So are you okay being here? Somehow the stage set has oh my gosh, changed everything. It's an opportunity to take back the power of those places over us. Okay, so I mean, even just hearing that, you see how powerful this is going to be. The film follows six men really bonding together, leaning on each other while they're walking, literally returning to places where they have been abused. And I think the, the question, Brian, is this, for anyone who has experienced abuse, especially within the church, but especially sexual trauma within the church at such a young age, 
you know, I think this is a really brave thing they're doing to go back and to try to find healing and then even to create art from it to minister to others. But I know there's a lot of people out there who are like, I don't want to, I'm not going back to my abuse. I'm not going back to the place where that happened. I don't want to deal with that. And I wonder just in your own experience, I know neither of us are therapists, but we are pastors. And so we do minister to a lot of people in pain. What happens when trauma like this goes unaddressed in someone's life? I think that's a super important question. And I do want to say that I've never experienced anything like this. And so in some ways you feel a little like, can I weigh in on this? But with that said, I I think something that we know is while it might in the short term be easier to kind of stuff trauma and pain away, like, um, you know, both big, both small, but also big, primarily kind of big trauma in your life to just not deal with it. It's going to affect you, not just now, it's affecting you when you don't even know it, but it's going to come out, like, right? It's going yes. to yes. rock your life at some point. And so while the hard part is um, dealing with it and facing it and the unfair part, because like these guys, these guys in the show, in the, in the documentary, they're kids at the time, right. like they right. did nothing wrong. But they're the ones that are, whose lives have been broken and who, who's needing to deal with this yeah, uh, yeah. later on in life. But I would say with the help of, a, a, you know, of, of good therapists mm-hmm. and uh, with the help of your community, uh, it, it eventually at some point you're going to need to deal with the trauma of your past. And yeah. so I think to, it's painful to even in the, in the trailer there to watch them deal with the pain of the, you know, these are, they appear to be, you know, 40, 50 year old guys going, right, I, can't even, right. I can't come to grips with what happened to me at 13. And you're just like, mm. oh my gosh, that how that has transformed your life and, and um, in many ways determined your life is, is just so heartbreaking. But yeah, Aubrey, I'd answer your question by saying at some point you're going to need to deal with, uh, with the bitternesses of your life, but beyond that, the, the hurts and the traumas. Uh, and, and you want to do that in an intentional way with the right yeah. people around yes, you, but, but absolutely. It's, it's, it's never good to avoid for, you know, think you can just avoid it for good. Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. And we talked about this, I think it was last week when we talked about Will Smith, even sharing about some of his trauma that the trauma comes out sideways, like it comes out, you know, and it may come out in anger, it may come out in bitterness, it may come out in depression, it may come out in, in, um, addiction, like, but it will come out. And yet when we feel safe enough to face our trauma, again, with the help of a professional or the help of a safe group of people, there's so much healing that can happen, not just for you, but for other victims who have walked through perhaps the same or similar pain point, which is something I think is really going to be really, really powerful about this documentary, Procession. Again, on Netflix, I'm looking forward to watching it. One of the things that we didn't share was there was a kind of a, like a tough looking guy. He calls, he says he's a contractor. He's like, look, I, I'm tough. I'm a, I can like, I can do my job. I can yell at people if I have to, but I cannot talk to you about what happened when I was 13 years old. Mm, that's so hard. And you just, you hear the pain in these men's story um, some of them, you know, 62 years old and they're processing things that happened when they were in elementary school. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. my my hope, I think, just sort of like the rise and fall of Mars Hill. I know it's different, but the, in going back and telling some of these stories, we continue to take a magnifying glass to the church. Like, what does God think about this? What? How can we do better as a church? And then how can we stand beside victims of abuse mm-hmm, and help? Mm-hmm help bring healing in situations like this, or at least stand beside as allies, people who are walking through their own healing journey. 
um, I, you know, I think this is really, really, really important. So Brian, again, I know we started by saying you've never been through something like this. I've been through some trauma, but not, not from a church and not ongoing and not when I was a really little kid. So there are layers to this type of abuse that is just devastating. I wonder for our listener right now, who's like, I have some sexual abuse trauma in my past, or I have some church abuse trauma in my past. What's a word that you would um, say to them right now? No. Yeah. And that's a hard one, right? Like I'd want Mm -hmm. them to first know that you're not defined by your trauma, right? Like Mm -hmm. you're not a broken person and uh, it can feel that way at times, I'm sure. Uh, But, but God loves you and uh, God knows your pain and promises to be present, but also he created you. Um, Yeah. Again, you are not a lesser person. And, and that I would just give you encouragement that that your future doesn't need to be de- defined by your trauma, but it might take some work to get to that point. And so yeah. uh, I don't want to minimize the work that it will take, but mm. uh, maybe talk to a pastor, talk to a trusted friend, get a you know get help finding a good counselor to start working through these things. Uh, but I'd most of all want you to know that you're loved, right? You're loved by not just family and mm-hmm. friends, but but most of all by your heavenly father. That's great. And, uh, and you can hold on to that. Uh, Aubrey, what would you say? I know, especially as a woman pastor, you've probably dealt with a lot more of this and dealt with a lot more of counseling people through things, through trauma. What would you want people to hear in that situation? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the most powerful exercises that you can do when you're when you're walking through this type of abuse. And again, when you're ready with a safe person, with a therapist or a trauma counselor or, um, you know, a spiritual director is to really ask the question, God, where were you when this happened? Mm -hmm. And I think overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly what people find as they, as they ask God that question is that somehow in the midst of what is the most horrific thing ever that God was there that Jesus mm. was there and that and that um abuse survivors were not alone and that God is not okay with this. And so I I think that's that has to be hard, part of the healing process. And I'll just say I'll just say very quickly and then we'll move on, but for me one of the most powerful things I did, I was a I was a victim of sexual assault. I did go back to the location where I was assaulted about 10 years later when I was ready. It took me a while to do wow. it and that was very healing to experience myself now as an adult in that place that felt so difficult for me then. And something about that God used to set me free in a new way. So if if that's you, again, only with the help of a therapist, only when you feel ready and safe, that can be part of the healing journey. And I guess that would be the last thing I would say is there is healing for you in Jesus. There's hope Mm, for you in Jesus. You don't have to live with this forever. Well, coming up next, how do we respond to the fact that we don't know how much time we have here on earth? You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. And we hope you are enjoying this evening. We're so grateful that you're with us today. We love ending our show by giving you something encouraging or or inspiring or challenging to think about. And recently, Lin-Manuel Miranda was talking with Willie Geist about the success of Hamilton and about his new movie, Tick, Tick, Boom, which is based on another musical. And he he, uh, brings up a really interesting point that I want us to talk about, Brian, as we close today's show. But let's go ahead and listen to their conversation. 
Are you able, with a little distance now, to articulate why it caught fire the way I did? Well, I think the things that it's quote-unquote are about are not really what it's about. It's really about what are we doing with our time. It's the same thing Tick, Tick, Boom's about. How do we respond to the fact that we don't know how long we have here? And in the moment when Hamilton is his most cautious and Burr is reckless, one kills the other, and that's how they're remembered forever. And then you have the third story of Eliza, who lives more than twice the age of anybody else in the thing and has a more significant and meaningful life than the folks who were all chasing legacy. Mm. Um, and so you can't leave that show without thinking, what am I doing with my yes. life? It's the same feeling I got when I saw Tick, Tick, Boom at age 21 and thought, what am I really doing with my life? I think Hamilton hits that weird chord in the same way. Okay, so that was interesting to me because I would have, you know, being asked why was Hamilton so successful for so long and still is, I think I would have expected Lin-Manuel Miranda to say a number of things. But instead, what he talked about was the fact that um, we never know how much time we have left on Earth. And that's really a major theme of Hamilton, a major theme of this new movie, Tick, Tick, Boom, as well. Um and that in Hamilton, the characters who were really striving and stressed about making a name for themselves with the time that they had ended up dying at early ages. But then we have Eliza um, Hamilton, who wasn't concerned with those things. She was concerned with living a meaningful life. And she ended up living longer than anybody right. and started an orphanage and did incredible things. And I I know there's not a one-to-one co uh, co Coalition? What's the word I'm looking for there? Correlation, Correlation there. Thank you. Sure. But um, but I do think it's interesting, Brian. Like, how do we respond to the fact that we don't know how much time we have here? What how does that how does that then encourage us to live? Yeah, this has been something on my mind a lot lately because I just finished yesterday uh a, a kind of a short four-week preaching series in the book of Ecclesiastes. And as you know, when you preach things, Aubrey, you kind of like they kind of stay with you as yes, you're doing that time. And in many ways, the book of Ecclesiastes could be argued that it's Solomon, after all that he's experienced, kind of facing his own mortality and going, man, everything I've done is meaningless. All this stuff is meaningless. Even all the riches are meaningless. And you're you're left with kind of reading that book going, then what has any meaning at mm -hmm. all? Like, what is the right way to live? And, and I got somewhat dark about it yesterday. I told our congregation, I, I actually want you to think about your funeral. And I want you to think about what will cause people to go there and say that was a that was a race well run. That was a mm, life well lived. And we good. don't like to think about those things, but but we all know it's coming. Yeah. Uh, and, and Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes, he answers that question at the very end by saying, fear God and obey his commandments. Right. Like mm. worship God, devote yourself to God and live as he's called you to live. Uh, and that that is a meaningful life. And Jesus, you know, turns the tables all throughout his life saying, you know what? The meaningful life is reaching out to the least of these and to not trying to accumulate wealth and to all these other things. And so, Aubrey, I do think, by the way, I think Hamilton was awesome simply also because of how great the music was. I mean, absolutely. <laughs> That's definitely part of the success, right? The first time you see Hamilton, you're like, whoa, whoa. I've never seen anything like that. But yes. when you're talking about what's uh, what is the meaning of life, what is the life well lived, what is the life that resonates, I think as Christians, we have to answer that question as uh, – Fearing God and obeying his commandments, mm -hmm. loving the Lord with all my heart and then loving my neighbors and yeah. following as Jesus yeah. has called us to live. It just is a really difficult thing to actually do. 
and so, yeah, this question I think is really timely. You don't like to think about Mm-mm. the end of our lives, even though we know at some point, hopefully decades from now, it's coming. Yeah. And, and so I do think it is, um, it's, I, I like to think of it as how you want to be remembered is going to be determined by how you're actually living your life now. So it causes you to ask the question, how am I living my life now? And mm-hmm. I do love the end of, like you said, Hamilton, how it's his wife who was kind of in the background. She faced a lot of pain. Uh, Hamilton, uh, you know, Alexander Hamilton didn't treat her great. Right. Uh, definitely not. She lives into like her mid nineties and she's kind of the hero of the story mm-hmm. through the orphanage and through other things. Uh, and it's through her that Hamilton continues to live. And it is just, yeah. I, I think it's a really important thing to remember. Yeah. I, th- I, I think another way to, to ask the question, Brian, you know, what do you want people saying at your funeral? You could also say, if that's too dark, you could say, what do you want people saying at your 80th birthday? Yeah. If, you know, if your friends and families are giving a toast about you, what do you want them to say? And of course we all know it's, it's nearly impossible to live constantly like that with the end in mind. But I do think every time we're reminded to, every time we lose someone unexpectedly and we think about the um, the shortness of life on earth or, or every time we hear another story and we think, oh man, life on this earth is so frail and so fragile, it does give us that perspective and that reminder again, wow, I want not even just to make the most of the time that I have left here, but I want to live very intentionally loving the people around me. And like you said, loving God, loving neighbor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I guess I, I would love, you know, as we're even thinking about Thanksgiving and then Christmas and then the new year, what if we all began to think about setting some intentions to live this year in such a way that, you know, we want to be celebrated our 80th. And again, I know that's easier said than done, but I do think it's important for us to continue to bring this back into our, um, our way of thinking and our heart and our time with the Lord, Lord, how do you want me to live so that with whatever time I have, only the Lord knows I have honored you and I have loved well and I have lived well. Um, I think these are important things for us to think about when really, I think a lot of us think we're going to live forever, right? you know, but we all know one, every single one of us are going to die at some point. Um, Two, we don't know when. And so that's, that's the thing. And anything could happen at any moment. And so you just, you don't want to have, you don't want to have regrets, but you'd also don't want to have undone things like things that yeah. have been left undone and i think anyway it's a it's a sobering reminder but hopefully an encouraging reminder maybe as you're going to be with family this week for thanksgiving or loved ones this week or to a friends giving this week consider pouring into those people in such a way that they know how deeply loved they are by you Absolutely. Um, partly because we don't know how much time we have left here on earth well on that note brian we're only a few days away from you eating your turkey are you excited it's coming Gosh, yes. I can't wait for Thanksgiving. I love it. Well, I don't love turkey, but I love Thanksgiving. So I'm looking (laughs) forward to it. Impossible. Well, hey, we will be back here tomorrow. Same time, 4 to 6 p.m. right here on AM 1160. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson. And you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Restart.
retired general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.